Hello and welcome to episode 189 of The Cool Room. I'm your host, David Griffiths, welcoming you to what should be a fantastic episode. Uh, we've got a couple of things in the show today and um, a few little announcements before we get underway with them. Um, first of all, we're going to be listening to part of a conversation that Warren Wu and I had with Jackie from Co-Conspirators uh, just yesterday at the Flemington and Kensington Lawn Bowls Club, a place that we often end up having some fun events. Uh, uh, today we're going to be talking about the Freedom Fighter, which is a Keller beer uh, that was collaborated and co-designed with a brewery in Ukraine, uh, and also the Pastry Chef, uh, which is a really delicious salted caramel pastry set. Uh, really delicious, good, fun beers. Uh, and then we're going to have it here in the next episode a bit more from co-conspirators. Um, but if you'd like to catch up both with Jackie and myself and others from the uh, the Cool Room team, we're going to be getting back together again in just a couple of weeks' time. Uh, we're going to be down at Pinoak Beer and Wine in Pinoak Crescent, Flemington, with our good friend Leanne as she celebrates the fifth birthday of her venue there. Uh, and she has collaborated and conspired, co-conspired uh, with Jackie to come up with a really fun beer called The Hostess. So on Friday the 11th, we're going to be heading on down there and having a, a fun but relaxed night uh, drinking that beer. Uh, we've also got another live event coming up. We're going to be at Beer Deluxe, talk about our favourite horts. We love getting down to Beer Deluxe. And on Thursday, August the 3rd, uh, we're going to be joined by Boat Rocker. So Matt Horton, you would have heard him recently in the Black Box specials, uh, he's going to be joining us there with a range of some fun and aged kegs uh, that should be absolutely delicious, not the kinds of beers you're going to be able to get anywhere else. Uh, tickets are, are necessary for that one. $35 includes five beers. You know uh, at Beer Deluxe they're always generous with their pours, so it should be a really fun night. Lots of great insights, opportunities to mix with your fellow cool rumens and of course catch up with Matt, one of uh, Melbourne's most uh, accomplished brewers as he describes the beers and what's happened to them uh, as they've aged in those kegs. Uh, while you're in the mode of, of uh, buying things, well, the second half of our show today, we're going to have James Brainy from Brainy Brothers Brewing on the show. These guys have an absolutely amazing story. Uh, five generations of brewers in Australia brewed at pretty much every major brewery you could think of. Uh, really quite an amazing story. It starts at 1864 uh, in Williamstown in Melbourne. Continues on to this very day uh, where the beers are now being brewed by uh, Michael, our good friend Michael, out at Burnley. The story of how they rediscovered the recipes, the stories of all of the beers and their travels around Australia, uh, really fantastic. Uh, the, this episode, we'll have a couple of tastings, and then I think in episode 190, our next episode, we'll finish off. We've got an eight-pack of beers uh, from Brainy Brothers in the Cool Room podcast Shopify store. $39 for those eight beers. Really fun, easy drinking, but quite amazing beers uh, that you'll be able to enjoy. While you're there, check out the packs that we've got available for our two August online shows. We've got Behemoth Brewing, uh, a really amazing-looking six-pack, not just because the can art looks great, but because of what's in the can, uh, I'm sure will be fantastic as well. And we've also got Bowden Brewing. So all of that's available in our online store. 
Great opportunities to catch up with us online, great opportunities for us to catch up in the flesh. But speaking of catching up, let's get underway with today's episode. Let's hear from Mr Warren Wu talking to Jackie at the Flemkin Bowls Club about some great co-conspirators beers. Well, hello and welcome to episode 190 of The Call Room. Here we are, live at the Flemington Kensington Bowling Club, a very noisy, loud, raucous crowd. And we are joined this afternoon by Jackie from Co-Conspirators, who I think retakes the lead in the uh, How Many Times Has One Brewery Been On The Podcast Awards. But we will talk more about that as we go on. Mr Warren Wu, always lovely to be sitting next to you. Here we are at a bowls club sitting next to each other. Yeah, not for the first time, I don't think. Yeah. Not for the first time, although most of the times we come and do this, the footage is completely unusable. So (laughs) it's really interesting to see how that goes on as the afternoon wears on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, as David mentioned, Jackie isn't a stranger. She has been... Oh, I don't even know how many times I don't know how many times, yeah. Between between you and Tim, it's probably, yeah, it's a fair few. It's a fair few. So, given the fact that people could probably, and really should, go back and listen to all of the other uh, times that we've had you on, which which have been amazing, um, give us a rundown of uh, the co-conspirators story for the for the one or two people in the world who, who don't know who you guys are. Well, that's not that's nice. Um, well, I'm Jackie from co-conspirators. I'm one of the co-founders of the brewery with my partner Tim uh, and Maggie and Dion, who unfortunately aren't here at the moment. Um, we are started out Gypsy Brewing. Almost seven years ago now, wow. uh, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it'll be seven years in sort of the end of this end of this month, which oh, which is now. Um, <laughs> so it is July, um, and uh, we gypsied with a lot of different um, different uh, breweries over the years, and then in before twenty twenty, before the pandemic, we got a um, lease on a our current brew pub in Brunswick, uh, which is current almost will be two years old, opening in the end of the in December. Uh, we had a pretty rough go during the pandemic mm. to get it um, all up and running, um, and then we opened the uh, brewery, the brew pub in December of 2021. So we are located on Victoria Street, Brunswick. Um, we are a 200 seater. 20, are we 26 taps now? We put an extra two in. 26 taps of our beer, ginger beer, cider, wine taps. Um, we just recently put in a uh, an English hand pull tap, which wow. we have a selection of English-style ales now, so that go on and off tap at the brew pub. And we also have um, a Czech-style Pilsner side pull tap now, which is... Um, which Tim's very excited about his little um, little uh, projects over the over the time. So um, so yeah, um, we you know we're not really normally known for lagers and and um, and English style beers, but uh, with the creativity of having your own small brewery on site, then we've sort of opened up and. Did a whole bunch of new and different beers over the last two years. Twenty six taps. I yeah. didn't realise that's massive. It is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a, and that's all your stuff. It's not all your uh, stuff. Not all of our. Not all of our stuff. We have a. We have uh, two local wine taps. Mm-hmm. 
the um, noisy ritual uh, supplies with um, our house wine on tap. Awesome. Um, and then they just sort of fluctuate. Uh, we have a, we currently have our own ginger beer on tap. We did have a bit of a salsa tap there that we were doing as well. Um, and then we have a cider tap, which we don't do cider. We have a DV cider, um, have a permanent tap on there, and they're a local um, cidery in Macedon Rangers. So those are the ones that we are not ours, but they constantly... Sometimes we have 26, sometimes we might have yeah. 20 taps. It just depends on what the brew schedule shows us. So, um, But, yeah, we have a total of 26 at the brewery. How much has that driven what you put out in cans? Like, if it, I'm sure it's had an effect, but, but yeah, having so many different, op, different varieties that you have to service uh, the brew house with. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's actually really interesting. I mean, winter's a very funny time of year. It's, um, it's, it's quiet. Everyone's sort of struggling out there, and we sort of had to think, all right, we, we kind of package, we have core range available, which is the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. Core range, which is part of Mal, um, Matrix, a part of that core range branding uh, brand now. Um, and that's, we, we constantly pump those out because it's our most popular beers that we just constantly do. But the package beer that we do, so sometimes we do one or two package seasonals a month. Mm -hmm. And that's really just dictated on the weather, really. I mean, um, we've just really just pumped out a lot of dark beer, which we'll talk a bit about um, today. But um, we pretty much will finish dark beer limited releases now. And we'll start thinking about some spring and summer releases for, pack, for package stock. And uh, we recently just sort of changed over from our 355 mil limited cans to um, 440 mil cans now, which we've never nice. done before. So, um, yeah, it's... It's, it's really dictated on the season and what mm -hmm. people are wanting. I mean, um, the last package stock we've done on a um, seasonal basis is um, we've just packaged Double Matriarch, which I'm sure we'll talk a bit about later on. But um, Matrix obviously being a, a style of beer we've had from day one. And uh, we have Matriarch Day next week, uh, next weekend at the pub. So... We wanted to do something um, to celebrate that, so we've done awesome. a double version of it. You were saying before you're not known for lagers and things like that, and here we are enjoying <laughs> a Keller beer. Yeah. So, um, look, there's different ways we can approach this bit of the discussion, but first of all, tell us what a Keller beer is by style. Tell us what we should be seeing, smelling and tasting in the glass, and then tell us why you made a Keller beer. That's a lot of questions. It is. Um, I, I'm, now I can just sit back for a while. So I've done, <laughs> my work's done for the next half hour. So um, our Keller beer is called the Freedom Fighter. Mm. And a Keller beer from a style guideline is technically called an unfiltered lager. Um, but where it sort of all came about was... Um, we were interested in doing the Adelaide Beer and Barbecue Festival this year, um, and the organisers of the festival uh, approached us to say, oh, because this is your first year doing the festival, would you like to do a collaboration beer with us? And I'm like, yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. And it was originally going to be a collaboration, collaboration with another South Australian brewery. So there would have been... So we might have been... Um, uh, partnered up with 
shapeshifter brewing or you know little bang or something and do a collaboration with them but um with the recent events of um with the ukraine um the organizers aaron and gareth um we're in contact with some of american breweries that have done this sort of Keller beer um, collaboration with a brewery called 2085 in the Ukraine. Um, and they were um, for the, sort of just to raise awareness and, and, um, aware, uh, and to arrange sort of funds for efforts in the Ukraine. So they've changed the idea of the collaboration for us, all four breweries that were involved in the collaboration, to do a Keller beer. Um, obviously, for us, we've never done a colour beer before. Um, and people who know us so, and have had our beers many times is that we're very a hop-forward brewery. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so Dion had to really research the style and what, what, what we're going to... What, what, well, how do you make a colour beer? Because we haven't really done it before on a commercial style. So, but we were able to sort of put our spin on it. So we did do a... Um, uh, a dry hop edition of Simcoe hops, so you'll get mm. sort of these earthy, piney notes with the with the Keller beer, which is really um, sort of gives it a bit more earthiness to it, which is um, what I really like about it. I mean, I'm mm. not a big lager drinker anyway, but I'm more of a hop forward sort of pale ale and IPA drinker myself. But I, I really enjoy drinking this, and it's a really easy going 4.8 percent, um, uh, 4.8 percent beer. So that's where it sort of started off with. Um, and the idea was the the Ukraine breweries were brewers were supposed to come to Victoria and brew the beer with us. Um, unfortunately, their visas got declined because um, the Ukraine government may have had to get them to call up to fight in the war, um, oh. so they weren't able to come for brew day. Um, and then. They were supposed to come to the festival and they weren't able to do that for the same reasons. And it was, to it was told that they were, um, uh, some of their brewery staff had to, were called up to fight. So it's, it's just wow. quite remarkable thinking, you know, we're all here enjoying beer and having fun. Um, and these poor people are fighting for their lives and, um, and they, they can't even go to their jobs and work, um, which is just... A remarkable story. Yeah. Um, there was. I did a bit of a, a panel discussion at the festival. I, I know that some of the guys were were at the festival. I'm not sure if you caught it, but the organisers were, were discussing about how he, he was doing a Zoom meeting with them to, to organise a collaboration. And in in, in the background, the Zoom, they could hear like bombs and and you know shells being dropped and. And he goes, "Are you guys right?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, we're all right. It's just normal day-to-day -day stuff. It's just wow. it's a few it's a few blocks away. We're safe." So and this is what he was saying to them, which is quite remarkable. That's really intense. Yeah. It kind of puts this beer and the idea of it into into really stark kind of yeah. terms, doesn't it? It's like, it, is, yeah. it is. It is. It is. It's pretty strange concept to see. You know, this is beer supposed to be fun and enjoyable and um, bringing people together and. It kind of, you know, puts a lot of things in perspective when people are trying to fight for them for their lives. Um, and another thing was um, the brewery is based in Kiev, um, and they because it was it's so dangerous in Kiev, they've had to literally move the whole brewery, tanks, the hospitality out of out of Kiev because it's not safe for their staff to work and come into work anymore. So they've had to move the whole brewery out. So, um, yeah. Wow. 
And uh, obviously the can design, we love talking can designs yeah. with, with you guys, um, but our good friend Clint from Pocket Beagles has, uh, has, taken, the, has taken the sort of instructions to, to do something that's appropriate for, the, for yeah. the can, for the cause that it's all about. I guess it was, it was, it was hard to figure out an appropriate name and we wanted to make sure we got it right, so we did send it to them to make sure that they were happy with it and they were really happy with mm. us going with the... Um, uh, Ukrainian president's um, image um, and uh, on the can and obviously all the colours of the f uh, Ukrainian flag. So uh, usually there's always like little fun things about it, but it's quite a simple can design compared to our others uh, and it sort of just is stretch the point, really. And yeah. is, is Kellebees now that you've sort of had an excuse to make them something you're going to go back to or is this a, a one-off... Or is, uh, oh. is Dion the one who'll get the say on this somewhere along the line? <laughs> Probably. But, look, it's an um, interesting style and, um, you know, an unfiltered sort of hazy lager. Yeah. Um, it's kind of on brand. Like, you know, yeah. people love um, hazy. It's probably the original sort of hazy sort of style, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, being a lager, it's, a, it's quite an old... It's not a new beer style. It's a European style. So, um yeah, maybe we'll make more. I hope we do. Cause it's really delicious. Yeah, it's, it's super delicious. Yeah. It's super drinkable. Exactly what I needed, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, look, we, we've had sort of a, a serious conversation there about a serious beer, but the other beer that we've got in front of us at the moment is the Pastry Chef. Yep. This feels like the metronome swinging to completely, not just taste-wise, uh, but thematically, a completely different end of things. So people have got that in front of them. What style of beer is that, and what can you what can you start to introduce for us there? Yeah, so it's a salted caramel sliced stout. It was actually our 2020 Gabs beer um, when we were supposed to release that at Gabs, um, and obviously the pandemic hit, and uh, we weren't able to have Gabs or do anything. So we packaged the whole lot, um, and we were able to sell it um, um, online and through bottle shops. Um, so yeah, it's a, another collaboration we did with a local chocolate company in Brunswick called Ratio and, uh, they actually supply us with all, if you have ever have any of our chocolate inspired beers, it's always Ratio chocolate in there because they just have an amazing product and they're local and they roast locally. Um, and they're all organic chocolate that they, that they get in, in sustainable farms around, around the world. So um, so yeah, it has a little bit of a history. We re-released it at During Gaps, um, and it's been a bit of a crowd favourite. Like people have always been saying, "When are you bringing it back? When are you bringing it back?" So uh, we needed a, a release of a sweet stout in, in cans. So we thought instead of doing something um, we knew, we wanted to bring it back because it was a bit of a crowd favourite. With um, with when you do collaborations with uh, non kind of businesses such as Ratio and, and their chocolate. Um, do, you, do you look for feedback on how, on how the chocolate presents in the beer? Do they, do they give you ideas on, on how to yeah. best use their product? Absolutely. Um, Dion does have discussions with Ratio. I mean, all the chocolate that we use would be different mm -hmm. according to the style of beer we do. So we've done a few with them over the years and um, they're all a little bit different compared to what um, what the chocolate is. Um, so yeah, there is definitely input on what what product goes in. It was the same if we do it. We did a a beer with um, 
Padre Coffee in Brunswick, yep. um, the bean counter, um, and that was also a discussion that we had to have on what type of coffee would suit a porter at the time. So um, that's with the style, the sort of ingredient collaborations that we do. I think they're very different to bar collaborations or brewery collaborations we've done. Um, but there is discussion about... Because we're not experts in their products, so we kind of need to know what they feel is right for the style of beer that we want to do. Mm-hmm. And then, then Dion will work out what... Um, what the quantities we need for the beer, yeah. People probably have a rough idea, you know, how beer is made, that you get some lovely boiling water, you put <laughs> some grains in there, the grains give off sugars, you put some yeast in, the yeast eats the sugars, and you get alcohol and flavours out of that, and you add hops, and that sort of, you know, adds another dimension to the flavours. But for people who may not sort of understand how it is that you start to combine things, like the kinds of flavours you've got in here, so why is the beer the colour it is and why, you know, how do you add chocolate into that process? You've asked the salesperson, not the beer person. Um... Uh, you've, you've played this game before, Jackie, I know. I mean, obviously when you get dark beer, it's, um, they have dark, dark roasted malts that give you the, gives you the colour, right? So that's mainly the, the, the colour of the malts will give you the, 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 um, the, the colour of your, um, your beer, your finished product. It's, it's like when you drink a red IPA, you have sort of, sort of those amber sort of malts that will give you that colour. It's not necessarily... You don't put additives in it, unless you put fruit to give it colour, um, that gives you the, those lovely roasted colours, um, depending on the style of beer that you make. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the colour isn't necessarily regarded... In the pastry set, it's not... With the chocolate's giving you the colour, it's the malt that gives you the colour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when does the chocolate go into it? Um, so the chocolate will go in after um, after uh, after the brewing process. So we'll go through in the fermenter. It won't go through the because um, that you won't get the flavours um, that way. So yeah. Cool. Yep. Now we've got. Audience in with the slide today, so if there's audience questions out there, feel free to wave your flippers in the air, and we can certainly do audience oh, questions. We've already got that's, one. That's fantastic. That's, I reckon, the quickest reaction time we've ever had. <laughs> you should drive a dragster, mate. But yell out your question. It was just on the chocolate actual chocolate. No, it's cacao. Um, it's cacao beans. So it's um, the cacao nibs. So it's not. Um, it's so more of a pure form of chocolate rather than. Cadbury chocolate, <laughs> so it's um, got no natural, it's got no sugar or anything on that. Yeah, up the back of the class there, yes. So the question, just uh, maybe just for the podcast version of this, the question was, do the cacao nibs ferment? They are, they are fermented. They are fermented. That's something that we did learn from ratio. They actually ferment the the, the nibs um, uh, as well. So it is, they are naturally fermented. Yeah. So yeah, the question I suppose is how do you how do you work out how much you need of a beer? Like how I suppose yeah Less, yeah how, how do all you, the style all the styles of beer that we that we yeah yeah uh, you... we're still learning that after seven years it really is really hard to figure out we're very we're very a seasonal based brewery and we we do our limiteds based on the season so obviously as I mentioned we do a lot of dark beers this time of year, but we get, we're leading into, into spring, so we'll start thinking about some fruit-forward sours for the spring season or some flavoured pale ales or IPAs, sort of more sort of hop-driven things leading into summer, summer and spring. Summer and spring. 
But obviously the brew pub's a bit different, so that's that's from a wholesale perspective. Um, with the brew pub itself, um, you kind of need to have a bit of everything all the time. So you've got to be really strategic on what you do because you know we have 26 taps, right? And you can't. You should. We should always. We always say, yeah, we always need to have a sour. But okay, if we need a sour and it's winter and sort of sour taps a little bit slower than than your darker darker beer taps, maybe you kind of make it more of a winter a winter sour, and you might think about putting um, sort of more winter flavours. So, you know, we've got Matriarch Day coming up next week, and we've got a, a sour coming on. It's not really a summery sour. It's like a 6.5% um, fruited hoppy sour. So it's not really a smashable sour can that you want to, like, drink all the time. It's sort of a very easy, go, uh, sort of more of a, Winter style sour that you kind of sip on rather than smash down a few cans in the summertime. I mean, I kind of, I want to use the example of beer mash. We, we went to beer mash a, a few during Good Beer Week and we had some amazing Scandinavian sours that were, you know, higher ABV, but they weren't like summery sours. So I was just like, we should be making those sort of sours in the wintertime rather than like a 3 or 4% smashable sour that you want to sit in sun and drink them. Does that make sense? I, yeah. I'm loving this table over here, Warren. We've got to get this table and box them up in a crate at the, uh, <laughs> at, the, at, the at the end of this podcast because they are question central. So we've got, we've, got one more, we've got two more questions from the table, but other people, you don't have to sit at that table to be allowed to ask a question. So, Yeah, yeah. please, tell us a little bit more about Double Matriarch. <laughs> was the question. Oh, well, first of all, tell us what matriarch is exactly. Um, yeah, for, for our listeners in Fiji. So Fiji is... <laughs> Fiji listeners Yeah, now. Fiji is beating Canada and the UK this month for listeners. There so you go. Th- thank you, Fiji. <laughs> I... um, if you don't know what matriarch is, um, it's, um, it's a hazy IPA. It's a, a NEPA. Um, we... It's probably our third third, fourth beer we ever made as, as Gypsy Brewers when we first started out. And it was just sort of starting, we kind of released it at a really good time. It was just when sort of Nipahs and Hazy IPA started coming to Australia. Um, and we've always had this beer and it's always been a crowd favourite and we've always had it and it's sold well and we've always had it available for people. Um, and we were sort of thinking at the start of the year what sort of like looking at the events calendar and what we were gonna, what we we're gonna do, we were like, okay, IPA days in in August on the fifth of August. If you didn't know that, um, what are we gonna do? And we just said, well, we've got this amazing IPA that we make all the time. Um, let's have Matriarch Day. So that's where the sort of the concept go. And we wanted to have a few different versions of the of the original. Um, so we did a double NEPA, so it's turning out to be a eight percent matriarch. So it's basically, it's basically everything that's in the beer is exactly what's in normal matriarch, but there's a lot double. more. It's well, it's not technically because if it was double, it would be twelve percent. Yeah, but I um, it's um, yeah, it's just got a lot more body. Um, Dion, we were tasting it last weekend, and it was just it's. The ABV is really hidden in it. It's super juicy. It's, you know, you've got to be careful when you're drinking it. It's pretty amazing. Um, so we decided to package that. Um, and then 
We've done a sour version, so a sour nipa with a fruit addition of um, mango, peach, and pineapple. So, so it's a fruity, hoppy sour. Um, again, six and a half percent, so same ABV as normal matriarch, which is a bit higher than what a normal sort of sour would be. So, coming back to that sort of wintry sort of sour. Um, so, uh, we've got. That happening, live music, we've got uh, Matriarch merch, uh, we've got a, a smokestack barbecue, American barbecue uh, uh, available all weekend. So we're, we'll be tapping the, the new beers on Friday next week and then it'll be available all weekend, but the main day is IPA, IPA day, which is on Saturday. Is Matriarch merch one of those kinds of things that police make you say to test your sobriety? <laughs> like, so is that the kind of... You, you say it early in the Matriarch, night... Matriarch, just... Matriarch, Matriarch, yeah. Matriarch, Matriarch, Matriarch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, so, um, so we've got T-shirts and glassware and um, pins and patches. and um, So we're going to be ser- serving Matriarch out of... Going forward, we'll send Matriarch out of Matriarch glasses at the pub, uh, but you can buy your own. Um, we've got, if you can't make it, you can buy online. We've got some packs that we can range for you. You've got um, this capitalist thing figured out entirely. You've, oh, got, yeah. you've got, you know, you're almost out doing me for shilling oh, as a, yeah. you know, for an afternoon. But ah. while we're in that mode, we're going to be gathering together again in a, yeah. a couple of weeks' time, two weeks time, about 200 metres down the road at Pinoak Beer and Wine. Why don't you give us a little preview oh, of yeah. that <laughs> event and that beer? And then yeah. I know there's at least one more question from the table of questions. <laughs> um, obviously, Leanne's a really great mate of ours uh, out at Pin Oak down the road in Flemington. Um, she, I've just walked in the day, see if she wanted to buy some beer and she says, this was a few months ago and she goes, oh, I'm having my fifth birthday. Um, would you guys want to can make a beer for me? I'm like, sure. What do you want? Uh, and that's pretty much the whole story of it. Uh, so it's an American Pale, a five hop American Pale to celebrate five, five years of her, of the um, birthday. Um, and she'll have it on tap until it's all gone. It's a limited release. Um, so I get down on the 11th of August to Pinnock. I, I can't imagine what it's like to have a business that actually lasts five years yeah. successfully, yeah. Yeah, let alone absolutely. just even staying in the same job for five years. Yeah, so uh, a big shout-out to our friend Leanne. Go back and check out the archives. I think about episode seven, given that we're coming up to our 200th episode. Episode seven or so Leanne is on. Table of questions. What was your next question? So, so the question was from our from our mad keen Cascal fan um, on the question table. Uh, oh, geez, now I've given the introduction. I've forgotten what the yeah, question. Yeah, you really well. Like, you, you had that sewing hand yeah, yeah, for a beautiful and then it ten just seconds went, there, yeah. Warren, and it all. Do we do castales at the pub? Yeah, basically. Or can you? Oh, yeah. Tim nodding his head. Well, this is sort of Bingo more nodding Tim. Head. Do you, do you want to? <laughs> um, <laughs> Short answers, yes. Yeah. I knew not miking every single person in this room would prove to be a mistake in here. <laughs> but, um, I mean, we don't we don't put it in a cast as such. We we put it in a keg, um, but we uncarb. It's un- an uncarbed keg. Um, and we have put traditional styles in for our Good Beer Week event. We did an, an English uh, degustation event uh, to launch the, the, the pump. And we had um, 
uh, five beers, and so Joanna, our venue manager, is English, and she has a really strong affinity to putting English-style beers uh, available at the brew pub, and she matched all these um, uh, English pub food um, food with um, English-style beers. So we had our usual suspects lager, um, we had an English IPA, an ESB, the Baltic Porter, which we'll taste, that was on as well. Um, I'm missing one. I'm missing one? That's pretty good. That's yeah. better, you know, yeah, for a Sunday afternoon, yeah. your memory's working pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So we had like five different English style beers. The ESB was the only one that was on hand pump at the time. Oh, it was a brown ale. That was, this, that was what oh, I yeah. missed. It was a hazelnut brown. Um, and she had things like um, original English pub crisps that she got imported to um, Australia. Um, pie thief in Footscray did a chicken tikka masala pie. Um, we did, uh, we had a sausage roll that they made. Um, and then there's a, there's a English butcher that are based down in Dandenong. Uh, you can get all English style food from there. Um, and he made some Battenbergs for us for our um, sort of our sweet course. So we had Battenbergs, um, traditional Battenbergs with it as well. It was a really great event. Um, and we sold out. Um, and there's obviously a lot of English-style um, beer nerds out there that we didn't know existed. And there's not a lot of um, hand pumps in Victoria, in Melbourne. So we thought it was a good opportunity to do something a bit different. That makes sense. That butcher is amazing. Like, I found out the other night that I've got a friend who drives out to Dandenong for junior sport once a fortnight, and I am now, like, and, and who's actually sort of vegan, but I have now made this person, <laughs> when I say so, you know, go, go to the butcher for me once a fortnight to source sausagey goodness. Yeah, like, yeah, it's amazing. It's actually, it's amazing what they, what they have there, and he, he makes the, he doesn't buy them in, he makes them from scratch, like traditional Battenbergs. Wow. Um, which is very cool. The whole marzipan and yeah, so it was a really cool event. And we had cheese and pie thief and yeah. I okay. love I love your events, like co-conspirator events. You guys have taken full advantage of the fact that you now have a, a tap room and you've got all these events going on. Um, what's been your favourite event so far? Has there been one which really tickles? Oh, the event we did with you, the collaboration. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, How about a real one? (laughs) (laughs) I've said the English one was pretty great. Uh, We got a really, really great um, amount of people. We got, you know, we just wanted to have sixty people. We sold out of tickets for sixty for Good Beer Week. I I felt that was a really great Mm. turnout. Um, We've got a whole bunch of different, um, different events this month. We're doing drag bingo starting next weekend. Um, awesome. We're doing that. Um, we've got. Um, I don't know if anyone's been to the pub when we have. Um, we have a, a burger pop up called Crispy's Burgers. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first part of our chat there with Jackie from Co-Conspirators at the Flemington and Kensington Lawn Bowls Club. Uh, We had an awesome afternoon out there. Make sure you're listening to the next episode where we will be talking about a couple more of the Co-Con beers, some really fun things there. But look, now it's time to get our heads around the fact that it's Thursday night online in the Zoom room. Uh, James Brainy from Brainy Brothers Brewing is joining us. If you don't already have them, make sure you check out our shop. Grab the 
pack of Brainy Brothers beers, a mixed eight pack, for just $39, and you'll be able to sip away while you listen to us talk about those beers. Well, we've got a special treat tonight here in the online Zoom room of The Cool Room. It's episode 189. Wow, we've been around for a long time. But I tell you what, if you think 189 episodes, if you think podcasts is evidence of a long time in the beer industry, we're going to give you a bit of an education tonight because we're going to be joined by someone who is representing about 150 years of brewing knowledge and brewing experience in Melbourne, in Victoria and Australia. So, look, especially for overseas listeners, you're going to get a bit of an education tonight about the whole state of, of Victoria, the whole nation of Australia. We know that sometimes you write in and you tell us that our descriptions of where all of the cities and states are make no sense. Well, you're in for a real treat tonight because we're going to be roaming across the entire continent of Australia. We're going to be doing that with James Brainy. James, welcome to the show. David, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. And um, you're right, the, the family history we're talking about does cover every state of this country. So we've uh, got a, quite a wide scope. Absolutely we do. We've got in our tasting pack eight beers. We're going to be concentrating on three of them tonight. Uh, either grab them from our store or go directly to Brainy Brothers online store. We're going to be talking about the Royal Lager. We're going to be talking about the Queensland Bitter Ale and the Superior Pure Stout. And uh, we're going to be talking. We'll give everyone a chance. If it's your first time listening to the show, don't worry. We'll tell you when to move from one beer to another. Uh, and there's uh, so many stories. This could be one of these famous episodes where, you know, it's supposed to be about an hour, but it turns into five hours by the time that we've actually got through all of this stuff. And thank you to the very good cool rumens who are joining us here live in the Zoom room on a Thursday night. And we're going to give them the opportunity to chime in as well. But James, look, where to start on a story that's, as I say, 150 years old, um, we normally ask breweries, you know, where they are and when they were established. But We've got the, the Royal Lager in our, in our hands. Can you tell us perhaps where the Royal Lager was first brewed and when it was first brewed? Um, absolutely. <clears throat> and it certainly is a big story, so it's hard to zoom in and, and compress it. Um, the Royal Lager was brewed at the Brainy Brewery in, in Toowoomba in, in Queensland, south, south, uh, south-east Queensland for our international uh, listeners and viewers, um, in the 1920s. So the family members that brewed the Royal Lager had previously worked at our family breweries in Victoria, both in Gippsland and my grandfather's brewery in Abbotsford, which is now um, the Carlton United Breweries. So they, they were trained at the family breweries in Victoria and then in the early 1900s, uh, took over a brewery in, in Toowoomba, the Silver Stream Brewery, and became a brainy brewery. And they continued to uh, brew the same style of beers, the, the, the lager beer and the bitter beer. But uh, due to the visit of the Prince of Wales in, nine, in the 1920, they actually launched their lager as, as Royal Lager. You've had a bit of time in beer marketing, but you're saying 100 years ago the family had already figured out some of this marketing shtick and, and thought that the Prince of Wales coming up to Queensland might be, the, might be an excuse to chuck some feathers on a can. 
Yeah, in a nutshell, um, I imagine a hundred years ago, the Prince of Wales visiting Australia was uh, probably a bigger event than than if it happened a hundred years later. But um, yeah, they thought it was significant enough to bring out a beer known as Royal Lager and were able to put the Prince of Wales emblem on the can and probably more remarkably, we were able to get it trademarked 100 years, <laughs> 100 years later. So this is the brand that came out of Toowoomba, Queensland in the 1920s. It's the lager-style beer that, that my family was producing in our breweries um, across other states. Um and, yeah, we've really brought back the same style of beer and the same beer brand um, from over 100 years ago. Uh, and, yeah, it's we, we've we tried to be as true as possible to both the branding and the beer style, but with Royal Lager, it is 100% the same branding as, as it was in the 1920s. I'm sort of fascinated because we often talk to breweries, you know, that try to sail a little bit close to the wind, just attract a little bit of controversy by, let's say, using a bit of a Star Wars logo or a bit of a, you know, some other sort of trademark. Are there any rules at all about using the Prince of Wales logo? Or as long as you don't claim that he loves you, is it okay? Well, that's what uh, we have registered uh, brands that were used in our family business over many states. Um, and as I said earlier, this, this is probably one we did not expect. But, but we'll, we'll be jumping ahead. We'll be talking about Queensland Better in a minute. But Queensland Better and Royal Lager are probably two of the ones that we thought we'll have a go, but we're probably unlikely to get these approved um, from a trademark perspective. So, no, we haven't we haven't sought royal approval to uh, use the emblem, but we haven't been. We haven't had a, a letter uh, asking us to cease and desist, but... Um, we've really just said this was a brand that was out 100 years ago and we brought it back again. So we just thought You're not it more saying like... you buy appointment or anything like that. That's the magic phrase <clears throat> not to use, I imagine. Exactly. We're not saying. We are not saying that at all. In fact, in fact, um, if you do see any of our marketing, because of the <clears throat> influence that my family had in the Australian beer market over that 150, 160 years, uh, our own in-house graphic team have really made Royal Lager about the brain brewing royalty rather than the, the royal family themselves. So we've made it about the beer and, and not about the uh, the royal family, which gives us a nice uh, space to be playing in rather than, you know, a bit of dangerous ground there. <laughs> Look, that give, that's a good little segue into let's try to give people a really sort of basic overview of the family tree. Uh, we'll Let's give them the branches and the trunk. We're going to put all the leaves and things on as we talk, but who, when did the family arrive and how do you fit into that picture, just to give people a bit of a feel for how many generations they are and where it all fits together? Yeah, no, thanks, David. Um, so in 1854, the family arrived from um, Tino, which is near Galway in Ireland and part of the whole potato famine exodus from... Ireland and uh, landed in Geelong and then settled in Stanley in Tasmania. And uh, 10 years later, one of the sons, um, and, in, and I think in the way that things were kindly described back in the day, um, he did not take kindly to the farming life <laughs> in Tasmania and 
went back to uh, went to Melbourne and actually took over and started a brewery in Williamstown in 1864. So he was the first generation uh, that was originally born in Ireland, started in the brewing industry, really didn't have a lot of, I'm not sure he didn't have a lot of background, so he probably learned on the run. Um, so from a family perspective, that was our first foray. Um, and then a few years later, my great uncle, so my the Brainy brothers were six brothers from Stanley that ended up um, running a number of breweries. The eldest brother came to Melbourne and worked with his uncle that had been in um, Williamstown, worked at a brewery in Collingwood, and then he went to the Victoria Brewery, which the remains are still there for people that in Melbourne would see the, know the facade of the famous Victoria Brewery in East, in East Melbourne. So the eldest brother, John James, really learned his brewing craft there from a master brewer called uh, Augustine de Bavi. So he was the one that was really trained by a skilled brewer um, and had a 10-year apprenticeship at, at Victoria Brewery. His brothers, my great-uncles, were also uh, brewers at Victoria Brewery. So they did their grounding there. And um, in the late 1890s, they moved to uh, Sale in Gippsland, Victoria, and started the first family brewery, which was then Brainy Brothers Breweries, because five of the Brainy Brothers were basically running the brewery. And that's where the, I guess, the legacy started. So a lot of the training was in the later 1800s, but the first brewery that, that my family started was in um, 1897 in, in Gippsland, Victoria. So that's when the, the our own beers were being produced, and that's where um, some of our... Um, Beer styles have come from our family breweries and the family then spread out really all over Australia. My grandfather that, that started at uh, Gippsland Brewery had previously worked at another brewery, started Melbourne Cooperative Brewing Company um, in uh, 1904 uh, in Abbotsford, which is about one from postcodes, about one kilometre from where I live uh, now in, in Melbourne. I uh, started that as Melbourne Property Brewing Company and that was then um, taken over by CUB in the 1930s and it's still the biggest brewery that CUB run today. And he started brands such as Melbourne Bitter and uh, Abbott's Invalid Stout and Abbott's Lager. So a lot of our um, family legacy has come from the fact that that uh, my grandfather started the biggest brewery uh, at CUB. So I'm probably digressing a bit, but from there... Oh, from that's roots, exactly what we want to hear that. <laughs> That centres the story for people who are who are coming yeah, so you. So. We kind of go, where's your credibility come from? And it's really the fact that my family, the the uh, the six brothers, and the, and then their their sons and their cousins uh, all became brewers out of the core. That uh, the fact we had the brewery in Gippsland in Sale, we also had a brandy brewery in um, Ballarat, a brandy brewery in Bendigo. I'm and told then, the Bendigo one was much better than the one in Ballarat, or is that just me with my own personal prejudices coming through? Um, they're, they're all they're all great breweries, David. So we can't. <laughs> it's like which which child do you love the most? If we can't have favourites, you know. <laughs> uh, you can if you're from Bendigo, but I well, but exactly right. you've played a very straight bat. I respect that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we really the family then. Uh, did work in breweries around Australia. So even John James, the eldest one that was trained at Victoria Brewery, went to 
Adelaide and took over the Walkerville Brewery and became the head brewer there for 20 years. That then be, became the West End Brewery, um, which is the, the best-known brewery in South Australia, in Port Road, Theberton. Um, that site's now been destroyed and the tower that's left there is the original Walkable Brew Tower that my great-uncle was a brewer at. So that's another great legacy. Um, one of my other great-uncles, my grandfather's brothers, was at Kent Brewery in Sydney and started KB Lager, which became the biggest brand in, in New South Wales. So I can keep going, there's more stories, but, but my family were there at the early foundations of the Australian brewing industry and their legacy carries on because of the breweries that are still there or the brands that are still there or the, 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 brand, the breweries that have become the, what they are today. And <clears throat> what we've done over the last couple of years is bring back our family uh, beer brands uh, based on the uh, fact that we're able to um, unearth the recipe books that the family used at our own breweries, and, and we know that they took those recipe books around the different breweries that they, they worked at, so when we had brewers at. So what we've done over the last uh, two years is bring back those family beer brands. So Royal Lager is an example of that. Queensland Bitter is an example. And all the beers that everybody's got in front of them at the minute are all examples, and we've tried to give a good spread, as was shown on the back of the coaster, of uh, <laughs> different beer styles from different uh, parts of parts of Australia. But um, they were all based on the fact that um, we've got the we call them the recipe books, but they're actually the the daily the journals from the brewery. So they're actually written in a lot of detail as far as what the ingredients were, what the weights and measures were. So. I'm, I'm, we're really looking, we're totally I'm looking forward to digging into those. I've got a heap of question about those. But perhaps before yeah, we get into no, that bit, I'm really keen to sort of know about your personal history in the in the industry and so forth. You know, were, you know, were you and has it always been your dream to run a brewery or did you start out somewhere else? Tell us how your sort of personal journey gets us to this bit before we start to unpack how it is that you came across these these Bibles of brewing. Yeah, well, I've, I've had a lifetime in the brewing industry as well. Um, <clears throat> as I've indicated, my grandfather started the brewery at Abbotsford and then was head brewer there until uh, the 1930s. Uh, my uncle, his son, started the CUB in the 1930s and worked up to be managing director of CUB in the 1970s. So my, <clears throat> my family had an incredibly strong history at CUB. And when I was a young teenager with not much direction of what I wanted to do, the family said, well, you, you, can, always, you can always get a job in a brewery. So, so go, uh, and, go and clean out some fermenters or something? <laughs> well, I broke the mould, to be honest. So I, uh, I didn't... Uh, I, I actually didn't have a great crack at brewing, but I, I kind of worked around different... Um, parts of the business and end up in, in sales and marketing roles. So I became the marketer of the, of the family. Um, there's clearly a bit a, of, there's a genetic line running there, you know, from somewhere up in Queensland and other, you know, there's, a, there's clearly a bit of capacity to talk the talk. Well, it, that's right. Well, it's, in, it's certainly in the blood. It's in the genes. It's certainly in the genes. Uh, so I had a 25-year career at, at CUB and, and was fortunate enough to be there at a time that the company expanded significantly geographically. I've worked in 
virtually every state in Australia. I've had a variety of different roles. Um, you know, I got involved in, in some of the bigger brands. So I understand how the beer market operates from a, from a sales and marketing perspective, so how the trade operates and how beer brands operate. Um, so that's hasn't done many harm when uh, when we've come to what we've, what we've um, undertaken in the, in the last couple of years. So, yes, I've, I've been in this um, all my time, and I've certainly had um, uh, experience in other in other hospitality and beverage industries over over the, the last few years. So this is this is kind of what I know what to do, but but I'm not the brewer. So there's, uh, uh, there's, there's, we've got the brewing expertise elsewhere. Well, I mean, I guess you know we've sort of heard a bit of that story there for you about you know being out with as a teenager with your you know grandfather and uncles and so forth. Do you remember the first time you ever actually tasted a beer or is that just sort of something you're always around it and always, not, not that you were tasting it your whole life, but there wasn't a sort of a magic moment the first time you had, you know, a beer? Um, probably not. I, you, you kind of preempted that one. Um, there, there was, you know, there's always been the fridge. I can't remember, you know, having a Abbott's Lager with my, with my father as a, as a young Young lad, um, the, yeah, my, my actually digressing, I guess, but the first time I remember having a few beers was uh, with some schoolmates. Uh, we sat up and watched an FA Cup final, which uh, <laughs> back in the day was, uh, you know, one of the, the big things that you could do. So uh, Absolutely. One of my mates, you know, parents went away and his place was empty and a few of us went around there and uh, had a few beers watching... I don't know, it was probably, you know, Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Nottingham Forest or something like that. And um, that was probably my first experience of uh, having, a, having a few beers. But uh, they certainly would have been, uh, they certainly would have been, you know, probably a Melbourne Bitter and Abbott's Lager or, or something <laughs> like that. You weren't expected to bring them or anything like that. That wasn't part of the deal. No, no, it was not. It was certainly not part of the deal. No, we, and we probably wouldn't have consumed, needed to consume too many either. <laughs> How about the first time you ever tasted this royal lager? Was, <clears throat> was there, is there, do you have a memory of that, or is it, or of some of those first ones where you first sort of got the book out and got those beers brewed? How did it feel to taste something that was part of the family heritage for, as we say, hundred, hundred and fifty years? Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great question, and. It, I mean, the, the punchline is it was a very anxious moment, I guess, because we didn't know we didn't know what the hell it would be like. So um, the journey really got some momentum because I already had a sort of friendship, working relationship with the guys at Burnley Brewing in in Richmond, in Melbourne, um, and I knew that they did contract brewing, and I knew that they did short short runs. So and first, they're just awesome uh, brewers, like we're huge Burnley Brewing fans here in the podcast. So, well, exactly. I mean, Michael Stanzel has got great credibility as as, as their brewer. So, um, when when we did uh, unearth the recipe books, we were very keen to really find out what was a beer like and um, and reclaim our family beer history, actually, because you know we had all this great history, but no one owned it; it was just floating around and. And in fact, someone had uh, looked at bringing it back themselves a couple of years earlier. So we thought the time is right to really reclaim something um, that's very precious to us. And the opportunity was to do it. 
So we spoke to, I spoke to um, some brewers that I knew and basically showed them the book and said, you know, can we make, can you decipher that into modern language? Can we make this, can we recreate this beer? And they indicated we could. We then met with Michael at Burnley Brewing and and they uh, committed to produce one tank, uh, 500 litres of beer uh, at their brewery in Richmond. And we were all very excited about that. We invited family and friends uh, on a Monday night and no one knocks back a free beer at a brewery, particularly <laughs> their family members. So next thing we had like 100 people uh, agreed to come along on a Monday night and we weren't oh, able to... I can do the maths, don't worry, yeah. What's that? I can do the maths. That's five litres each. So that's good. <laughs> um, so we really didn't get to try the beer. So I've been undertaking this with my cousin, Justin. It's been the two of us have been um, driving this. So it was really the 24 hours beforehand. We had 100 family and friends so on the Sunday, late Sunday. We had the first taste of uh, one of our family beers that, I think, yeah, correctly, had not been produced in 100 years. And it was a certainly a, uh, oh, my God, moment because it thought this could be anything. We could have a very embarrassing uh, day tomorrow or it could be amazing. So, yeah, it was an incredibly memorable moment. The first taste we went, this that's, this is actually pretty good. So um, and It absolutely is. Can I just say for anyone who's listening in and particularly overseas listeners who obviously don't have it in their hands, like, Eminently drinkable. He, you know, it's, Corey's holding up his glass. It's empty. This is my glass. It's almost empty. That's why I had to ask these questions. David's glass is empty. You know, we're, you know, we're moving on to the Queensland bitter. I said we'd tell you when we were moving from one beer to another. But look, this is just such a you know, good pub beer. I think that's the that's the whole point. It's um, in brewer language. It is going back to the way beers were produced 100 years ago, and their language is a very uncomplicated beer. It's a little bit back to basics. It's just back to the the, the, the main ingredients. Um, they said it when they first looked at it, they actually said this will be quite easy to make. So it's, it is back to basics, which means the beers are very easy to drink. They're very easy drinking beers, so they're not... They're not overly um, hoppy beers, they're not overly multi beers. So they are beers that you can keep drinking. So um, to the testament that night, we did, you can do the maths. I think we did drink most of the beer. I bet you yeah. had a few more family members turn up there. Not everyone drank five litres. A few more turned up to help yeah, out. I think we, uh, I think we oversubscribed on the night. Let's <laughs> <see. laughs> the, we're going to move on to that Queensland bitter in a second, as I say, but I, I guess the. I'm sort of just as we round out the conversation on this one is why did you pick this beer out of the eight beers in the pack for the for the first one we'd have in the conversation? It probably it probably picked itself to be David uh, to be true. Um, we have um, launched a range of beers, and because the family did travel around Australia, we've got a range of brands. But the one that has proven to be our number one seller is the Royal Lager. Um, I think because lagers are, are still popular, or they're probably becoming, you know, come back into fashion, so to speak. So, and when um, you know consumers are looking around of what beer do you pick, and particularly if it's one of ours or if it's in a range of other beers, and 
they see it's a lager and it's royal lager, it must be okay, let's try one of those. <laughs> and they try it and um, and it's proved it's proved very, very successful. Uh, we spoke earlier, there's a number of places that have got the beer on tap and it keeps selling and they keep ordering it. So it's it is our it's our number one. It's our number one selling beer. So that's why I thought we'd lead lead with lead with the strongest hand, so to speak. Absolutely right. Look, you know, we uh, we like to always anchor these conversations in our moment in time. You know, the fifth Ashes Test is about to get underway. The uh, the Women's World Cup soccer match. Uh, the mighty Matildas are off again. You've always got to lead off with your best possible uh, front foot. So we're we're all about that. We're moving on to the Queensland Bitter Ale now, and um, encourage everyone who's listening in. Uh, well. Actually, I'm going to ask Corey's asked a ripper question there in the in the chat. But it's actually I'm going to ask it before we move on to the Queensland better. But are you worried about the royal word when it comes to the monarchist and republican discussions here in Australia? Talk about anchoring a question in a moment in time. Is have you had any pushback on royal, or do people just not care? I think we we're very conscious of that um, eighteen months ago when we did. Um, have the opportunity to launch Royal Lager. Uh, and as I touched on earlier, um, we've got some, particularly one guy, Michael Bannenberg, is a very experienced graphic designer and he's a, he's a brewing historian. So he knows more about the brewing. He's, we've got a book. Michael wrote the book for us. Um, so he, he really positioned it as, um, representing the, Brewing royalty. He's positioned us as brewing royalty and saying this. I've just got a, a bit of a bar mat here, kind of just in yeah. case this question came up. So I don't know whether we can all see that, but I'd, I'd lift there's... mine up. But you know, it would make things fall over where I am at the moment. Exactly. So we've really said brewing the brew, the royal is really relates to the fact that the Brainy family are the most influential family in Australian brewing history, and it talks about the fact that we're brewing. Royalty, so we've really made it about the beer and about the family. And you've, you've given that's a, you've given me a beautiful segue there, mate. I think you know exactly how to play this game. But we're about to open up the Queensland bitter. And it's got a beautiful kangaroo there on the front. It reminds this genuinely. Some of these reminds me of those early stamps out of Australia, where you get one or two colour print and a kangaroo or something like that on it. Can you tell us a bit of the story as we pour this into our glasses about what we're going to be encountering here? not just in the can, but the story behind it. Yeah, again, it's um, a couple of our strongest brands have come out of the Toowoomba Brewery, even though the best brewery was in Bendigo, as we've already agreed to yep. earlier. Dave. Yep, but, well, uh, so you're on board now. You, you, you picked <laughs> up the theme. <laughs> so, again, I mean, Queensland Bitter was the bitter-style beer that the family produced. The, the beer in Toowoomba was known as um, Queensland Bitter... It's a great name to have. Obviously, Victoria Bitter has been one of the biggest brands in, in Australian history, and um, we were we were blown away that we we're able to get approval for Queensland Bitter. So it's a bitter style beer. The the the, the recipe books or the brewing journals, um, you know, have a have a, a lager beer and a bitter beer and a stout, and then they were clearly different brands regarding depending on which brewery they produced at. So. Um, it's a bitter style beer, but it's a, it's a lager style. It's not it's not like an English bitter, so it's still a very easy drinking uh, bitter style beer. And um, 
you know, we've got a distributor in Queensland, and this is, you know, he's, he's, this is his number one brand is the is the Queensland bitter. So it's again um, more focus on the Queensland market. It's getting a bit of traction in some other states. It's that easy, it's still, and hopefully you're all trying it now. It's a again an easier style. It's probably a little bit more bitter than the lager that we first tried, um, but again, it's. It's uh, the same label. We've, we've, we've had to make a couple of tweaks, you know, for modern uh, regulations. Um, and that kangaroo was um, a logo that was used on our family brands. And I believe it's the only beer brand in Australia that's got a kangaroo on it. So, so uh, it, it just makes it even, you know, more Australian, mate. So... Um, We've got, uh, yeah, we've got a couple of other bitter-style beers, but I think Queensland bitter is... Uh, why, why is this the one we're going for? Because, again, I think it'll be a very strong brand for us and I think it'll sell in other markets rather than Queensland and it might even get to Ireland. You never know. There is something about this sort of, you know, as you say, Victoria bitter is probably the biggest, I presume, selling beer in Victoria still. It's what those iconic sort of ones... It's not necessarily a style that you see named like that around the world. And so I'm just sort of conscious that, you know, people around the world may not quite grasp, but it's essentially sort of that lagered style, just sort of with different hops coming through it, just to sort of, you know, make it, particularly in a place like Queensland, in hot conditions or humid conditions, that bit more sessionable, I guess. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to second guess what, the family were thinking back in the day, but you know, I think those lighter style, easier drinking beers were what was required for a warmer climate where there was a big consumption was a lot higher than it was um, in the in the cooler climate. So yeah, it's called bitter ale, but it's you probably tend to think a little bit more like an English style bitter, but it's it's by no means like an, an English style bitter. So um, yeah, it's. It's exactly the same thing. The recipe's there. We brewed it, and we've gone. Oh my god, this is actually this is actually pretty good. There's the, the, just to you know reiterate how the local the stories are in at our brewery in in Sale. They called it sparkling bitter, mm. and um, the reason for that is. There was a natural spring water at the brewery, and in fact, most of the family breweries were all located because there was a natural spring water nearby. And given that water is a pretty important ingredient in beer, and you can get it, you know, for nothing by brewing it out of the out of the natural spring. Yeah, so the, the sparkling bitter is really referring to the fact there was natural spring water, which is the the name of the brand in. Victoria, but yeah, Queensland Bitter is is clearly the brand out of uh, out of Toowoomba. And again, I don't know whether, how this will work, but this is from our this is from our book. That's what the brewery was like in um, you know the 1910s, 1920s, a bit of a and <clears throat> that brewery was uh, subsequently purchased by Queensland Breweries, and then Queensland Breweries was purchased by CUB. So that became a large brewery, a CUB brewery in Toowoomba up until the 1980s. And 
as you know, has happened all around the world, they're consolidated and there were fewer breweries and they become a hell of a lot bigger. But the, the actual building is still in Toowoomba, so the, the old brewery building is still there. I've been through it a couple of times. There's still quite a remains of of what uh, where equipment was. There's some equipment there. And that the wooden plating that is in the Brainy Brewery is still part of the brewery there today. So the, the brewery from 100 years ago... <laughs> It's not operating as a brewery, but part of the remains is still in the building that uh, is in Toowoomba. So it's great for us to say, you know, these beers were made down the road by my family, and that makes it so real. It's a, I find it fascinating because I think I might have even said to you when we caught, out, caught up out in Burnley the first time we ever had a chat. In the 1990s, the early 2000s, when I first started to drink beer, that's probably the smallest number of breweries that were ever in Australia. So until that point in time, as you say, until the 1980s at least, it was commonplace to have at least a city brewery, if not you know, suburbs having their own breweries. Then we had this massive narrowing, and now we're sort of at the other end where the industry loves that differentiation again. How does it feel to sort of be able to see both sides of that and to be operating, I guess, in a market where... For some people, it's, it feels like they're rebelling against CUB, whereas people don't understand the heritage that got CUB to where it was in the first place. Oh, it's absolutely gone nearly full circle. So when my family started opening breweries, there were hundreds and hundreds, of, even in Melbourne, there were hundreds of breweries in Melbourne, there were there were nearly as many breweries, not not nearly as many breweries as pubs, but there were in Melbourne there were there were hundreds of breweries. There have been hundreds of breweries in Sydney and because of the beer didn't travel basically. So, you know, you really made it for your local postcode, your local catchment area. And as the technology improved, you know, there's just there was just consolidation and buyouts and et cetera. And we were talking earlier about um, a session at the Cooper's Inn that, that Max Allen ran, ran as mm. part of the, the Melbourne Food and, food and Wine. And, um, you know, there, there was, I don't know, a hundred or so pubs in the CBD of Melbourne, you know, the, in the late 1800s. And there was still a lot of, a lot of breweries. So Carlton United Breweries was formed when six breweries in Melbourne formed to make one bigger brewery. So that kind of started that whole consolidation and, Today, the two biggest players in in Australia, CUB and and, and Lion, are owned by you know by Japanese companies, and they've CUB's got basically three breweries that they that run the CUB beers, and Lion have got two or three. So you know they 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 run the Australian beer market out of two or three very large breweries, and we all know they've picked up smaller beer brands over the last few years. And uh, I remember Matilda Bay opened up in Perth in the late 80s, and that was kind of the first new brewery in Australia for, I don't know, 40 years or 50 years. Um, and now, I, you know, there's something like 500 breweries in Australia. So it's absolutely gone full circle. People are back to trying different style beers. The smaller guys can offer a different range of beers and, a different experience, so it's 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 been quite a, an amazing transition. Mm. So, 
from our perspective, to kind of be bringing back beers from a long time ago in, a, in, a, in an age where people are open to trying new beers and and I think our history resonates to a lot of beer drinkers. It's 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 it's, it's luck more than anything else, but it's probably pretty good timing. Um, Corey's asked another ripper question in the in the chat there, and everyone else in Zoom should do likewise um, about. Is it still possible to get all the components of the beers um, from the original recipes? And he asks that in the context, and I completely agree with what he's said here, which is that the beer that we're having, the Queensland Bitter, tastes like a modern beer. Like it's it's got that sort of tang and cut through that you'd expect of a, of a modern beer. And perhaps that's just me being pejorative about what people were drinking 100 years ago. Yeah. Well, as of, as of, you know, we're, this whole thing is very transparent. So, you know, I've, I have got the book here. We can, we can, we can refer. Yeah, we're going to get to the book, brother, because that's, yeah. that's awesome. So it, it really it, is. The, the book, the book says hops, malt, yeast. Um, you know, it doesn't say exactly, because they, they knew which hops they were using. They knew what yeast they were yeah. using. So we've, the brewers have, um, endeavoured and, and, and have, have been focused on getting hops and yeast and malt that was around 100 years ago. So we've, we've looked to draw on the same ingredients, the style of ingredients, because it doesn't tell us in the book much more than the general description. But, you know, obviously they're now being brewed in modern brewing plants as well. I mean, Burnley Brewing's only been around, for, you know, six or seven years. So I guess they're being brewed uh, to the same recipe or to, to the brewing journal using ingredients that we believe were, would have been around at the time, but but clearly we're not using the same brewing uh, technology and, and brewing equipment from 100 years ago. So I guess that's why you get a bit of a blend that it is more of a, you know, it's, 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 it's more, it's components of it are more today, but the, the heritage and, and the formula is based on beer from 100 years ago. Look, Hopefully that answers the question. No, look, I think it does, and, it, and it's the perfect segue into the fact that, you know, so much of this story, if you were if you were doing a movie version of the family, of this of the brewery, if we're doing a movie version of your life, there's going to be this bit where this book that you were just holding in your hand there, and if you're on the Zoom, you can see it. The, the book suddenly emerges out of the dust and, well... Tell us, where was the Family Brewing Journal? How did it come into your hands? It's a, yeah. bit, it's a bit sort of Indiana Jones, at least that's how I'm going to build it up. <laughs> it is a bit bizarre. Um, when, when we first um, considered it's time that we tried to reclaim our family uh, brewing history and um, started doing the family due diligence, I reached out to some of our family historians, the ones that had, had the family trees and knew who was who's who in the zoo and all the background. Um, and, again, was were descendants of the uh, original Brainy family. Uh, this is a John, John Brainy from, from Churchill in, in Gippsland in Victoria. Uh, I've asked him what, what did he have as far as our family history expecting to receive a few emails with a bit of background information. And um, then you know, a couple of weeks later, um, A4 envelope lobbed him a letterbox um, 
and I opened it up and he was, you know, a lot of, a lot of information, including, you know, one of these um, brewing books. Uh, so he actually posted this. This is not actually the one because subsequently we unearthed a lot of others. So, yeah, the first one arrived by mail in my letterbox and it, it, you know, thank goodness Australia Post were on the ball at that particular they're, they're, time. They're wonderful people. They deliver beer as well as beer Bibles. So we shout out Exactly. So we love, we love Australia Post. We're good. So, yeah, the first one I saw um, was mailed to me and uh, and I kind of went, you, you know, you cannot be serious. I think it was from 20... So we try again, 19, 19, 11, 19, 12, something like that. And it was from our brewery in, in Sale in Gippsland. So that was how it started. Then I kind of reached out further and it was basically stuff that's been handed, like any family, stuff that's been handed down the generations and, you know, it was in a box in a garage or in a, you know, stashed away somewhere. In this case, uh, John's son, uh, David uh, had maintained the family history in brewing and was a brewer at Grand Ridge in, in Merby North in, um, in Victoria. So he had a passion for it because he was still a brewer. So he, he, had, he had, the funny thing is he never actually recreated the beers himself, but he, he had kept a, a close eye on it and why they, they were the ones that had a lot of the family history. But as the journey continued, we had a lot of other books came out and they were very similar style of books, you know, just the, the you know, they're very authentic. It's got the dates on it. The writing is the old pen and uh, yeah. the measures are in hogsheads and uh, um, and the language of the day. So there was a bit of interpretation required, but we've also got the books in the front that says where they're from. This one was from Gippsland. Um, probably the best example was in Perth. Uh, Bill Brainy, who's the son of Thomas, who was a brewer at um, Redcastle Brewery and Avon Brewery in, in, in WA. He had come from the Tascoff Brewery in Hobart. So he'd gone from Hobart to uh, Perth. And the book that Bill showed me had Hobart at the front the book at Hobart, and underneath it, it had it had Perth. So it was living evidence that that one of the family had actually not only taken, it literally taken the book and continued, you know, the journal writing from uh, Hobart to to Perth. So yeah, it's it's it is a bit Indiana Jones ish, and yeah, hopefully when when a when a Netflix series or, or a movie comes out, they'll they'll be heavily featured. The Look, you're obviously a smart bloke. You've been around the industry, if not actually a brewer. Did you quite grasp what was in your hand when it first arrived, or did it just take, a, or did it just feel like a bit of a dusty old book until you really sort of understood what was in there? Um, oh, I knew. I knew when I saw it. That, like this is this is amazing. I, I didn't know the books existed. So the fact that we've been able to, as a family maintain these sort of records, um, I knew that was very special. I didn't know what it could lead to, but it, that was a, that's really what triggered us, that we had to recreate these beers like we've got the book. So we've got to find out what the beers are like. Um, so, I, I, you know, this what's happened over the last 
couple of years, it's been much grander and greater than, than I, as even as a beer marketer that I could possibly have uh, expected. Um, so it's become a much bigger um, opportunity than, than, than I would, would have envisaged. But I knew, answering your question, I knew once, once I saw this book, it's like, I think this is, this is something um, pretty special. And uh, um, we, we, we were fortunate enough to be interviewed by Max Allen from the Fin Review earlier this year, um, who wanted to talk about and write about our story, which, which we're honoured to, 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 to be involved in. And I actually took the book in with me in my folder, as I'm doing today, to go, there is a book, and I showed Max in, in at Burnley Brewing that here's the book, and he, and he nearly freaked out. He goes, what, like, what are you doing? Like, put that away. Like, he could get... Someone might spill beer on it. Like he, he, he knew how, how precious it was, and he like don't don't leave that on the table. I believe you put it away. Like what the what the hell did you bring that in here for? So yeah, no, it, it, it's it's priceless. Yeah, and, and I'm fascinated by what's in the book. I'm sure our listeners are as well. Is it just sort of recipe and journal sort of entries about that, or is there just sort of other stuff in there as well? Is there sort of comments about changing in hops or changing in what's available or any of those sorts of notes or is it sort of more a day-to-day just sort of you know did this put this on you know sort of how perfunctory is it to use a word that we don't often use on the podcast yeah well we call it the journal because they've written down in detail for the brew of that day um so here's the stout one i'm looking at uh from 1922 uh, and it's got malt and the, the amount, the measurements of that, sugar, mash, and it, and it does talk, it, it really, it, it just talks about how they brewed that particular stout on that particular day. So I don't expect anyone to, to read it and you can't pick it up from I've got a screenshot, don't worry, mate. I'll be making that tomorrow. Yeah, well, that's right. You're exactly right. Exactly right. So, um, so no, it, it, it goes through the level of detail they needed to capture when they brewed, um, that stout on, on that day. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly more than enough for the guys to have been able to recreate it based on the information that's here. Corey in the cool room, I mean, we love our T-shirts here in the cool room. We've never actually made one. One day we will. Corey's had a couple of cracking ideas for uh, T-shirts tonight. I actually think that having uh, one of the recipes for your beers in the original handwriting on a T-shirt that is that is marketing gold, Corey. You can uh, you can pick up your free T-shirt while James uh, runs the cash register and makes the money out of that one because I think that would sell like hotcakes. Uh, James, thank, 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 thank you, Corey. <laughs> one of the many good cool rooms joining cool rooms joining us here in the in the Zoom room tonight. Um, you touched briefly before James on the fact that someone else was trying to revive the beers and the label before you decided to step in. Can you give us a little bit of that without getting us sued? Um, well, it was, it was a, a, a Melbourne You're trying not to get us sued. Just take your time. I'll just keep talking while you think. No, 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 no. I won't no one sued. But, uh, no, it was an independent Melbourne liquor retailer that um, wanted to bring back a create his own his own beer brand. Um, so he became aware of our family history. He registered 
the domain names, uh, bronybrothers.com, bronybrothers.com.au. He was really leveraging more the first brewer, John, in Williamstown in 1864. So he he registered a number of, number of names. Um, he really pitched to investors first to get funding to, to, to really kick off. He had a he had a uh, unusual uh, commercial model. Let's put it that way. That um, for one reason or another, it never never got off the ground. But he he but he also did engage with us. He spoke to us. He, he wanted us to be part of his journey. So we we, we were uh, collaborating to a to a degree, but it, it never got too far. Um, and you know, he never produced a beer. He didn't he didn't register any of the trademarks. Um, but I don't, I'm not sure how long domain names uh, registrations last for. I think it's probably two or three years. So he we we're advised by people in the cool room that it's two years. Thank you again, Corey. You're uh, you're hitting it out of the park tonight, Corey. So basically, uh, when the domain name uh, re-registrations came up, um, this particular gentleman contacted me and said, "You know, do you want do you want to buy the domain names, or do you want these domain names?" I said. Are you trying to sell me my family name? And he said, no, no, they're about to expire. Would you like to register them? And then they're yours. And, it, and that was really the starting point. It's like, we, I think I should. And that's really triggered that let's find out about our family beer history. And then the book came about and then the rest I've already discussed. So, yeah, he really, at the end of the day, I guess he did, he did us a favour. We and he's stocking our beers. He's still operating and he stocks our beers today. So it's, uh, it's, it's all happening. A happy ending. That's fantastic. We're going to have a little break in a minute here live in Zoom and that will also be an opportunity for people to move on from one beer to another in the podcast version. But I guess I'm still looking at that little black book that you're holding up and I'm wondering, you know, how many different recipes are in there? Is, are there things in there that haven't been made yet or are they just sort of are there different versions of the same thing? Is there is there a teaser you can hold out for what might be out in the future? Are there things you'd like to try that you haven't tried yet? Um, well, it, it is it is really the, the the basic beer range. So we obviously we've done the the lager, the bitter, um, and the and the stout. There was a, a draft which we've done. There was a, a pale ale which we've done. Uh, the, probably the most intriguing, which uh, isn't isn't including included tonight, um, is the fact there was a very low because the the elk bowl is is determined by gravity. It tells you the gravity of the brew, and that tells you the, the elk bowl. So there was one that had an incredibly low gravity, and when the brewers were first going through it, they kind of dismissed it a bit, saying, "Well, this, we don't really understand this," but. As it turns out, there were um, uh, non-elk beers around in the 1920s uh, through the temp- through the temperance and the um, prohibition movement. So the family were actually brewing um, like virtually non-elk beers, and that was probably one that that took us by surprise a bit. Yeah, absolutely. A bit of, the guys were kind of going, "We're not really sure what this is," and then when we found some history about Stories and, and part of it goes back to actually even a, a, that Cole Cooper's Inn journey around that precinct um, in Melbourne. That yeah, there were there were there were uh, called non-intoxicating, which I think is uh, um, you know a much more gentlemanly term. But 
there were so that I guess that was a bit of a surprise packet uh, in 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 in, uh, in the books, um, but we would have launched that, and we've we've we've, we've got we've got one up our sleeve, so we've got one we're going to be uh, looking at uh, at launching quite quite shortly. So I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll keep you I'll keep you I, guessing. I love that. No, we love the teaser, mate. We love the teaser. <laughs> Let's use that as a really good point to press pause and we can all go off, wash our glasses and get ready to come back and talk about the superior stout because I'm looking forward to that conversation. Beautiful. Thanks, David. I'll do that.